That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Bunny? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball, kind of whenever. I am your host, Chris Giant. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, we just endured the worst winter meetings of all time. Only like two or three interesting things happened the entire week. It was awful, which maybe that's because it's all online. But nonetheless, I'm doing very well. We got a lot to report anyway. Yeah, yeah, we have a good show planned today. Yeah, I think, you know, winter meetings just... They didn't, they didn't do well, you know, maybe, you know, people's internet wasn't yeah. working well or the biggest, you know, like tr- the biggest transaction news of the week happened right after we stopped recording last week. Yeah. It was like 20 yeah. minutes after we got off. Yeah. But like, I, I heard, you know, negotiations with real Muto, like real Muto's agent was like, uh, his zoom audio wasn't working. So, uh, it uh yeah what are you gonna do what are you gonna do so you know they tried to they tried to negotiate in the in the chat part someone someone cut the wires on scott boris's modem yeah yeah they they tried to they tried to negotiate in the chat thing but you know they decided (laughs) to wait till another day yeah um so that's why winter meetings were a bit were a bit slow but we do have some interesting news uh first First off, some news that happened uh, today as, as of the date of this recording. Uh, the Negro Leagues are officially recognized as a major league. So we're going to be seeing um, Negro League stats recognized as, you know, major league stats. You know, the major leagues, they don't just include because, you know, historically already, they don't just include the American League and National League. They also have you know, all those weird 1800s leagues, like the union association that happened for one year in 1884, the American association, um, the federal league that happened from, uh, 1914 to 1915. But now the Negro leagues, which is around for 30 or 40 years, or it was, it was 1920 to 1948. So almost, yeah, almost 30 years, 30 years. That's going to be recognized. I'm not sure the extent of the uh, statistics, however, but uh, it is it is an interesting development and a, and a pretty cool development that's going on with that. Yeah, I mean, this is, I felt like this was long overdue. I'm kind of surprised that this wasn't already a thing uh, beforehand. Like I, I kind of, I mean, I, I think everyone already associates the, the Negro Leagues and their history with Major League Baseball. Uh, it just wasn't, official uh as of today uh the day that we're recording this but i think we can all say that we're glad i mean josh gibson uh if he ever got the chance to play in the big leagues he would have had an incredible career um satchel page uh was a guy who was lucky enough to get over there you had guys like monty irvin cool papa bell uh many others that um made their careers known over there in the negro leagues unfortunately some of them unfortunately never got the chance to perform in the American League or National League, but regardless, their efforts are, are all recognized now in the NLB record books. Uh, yeah, and, you know, whatever they may be, we, we kind of wish that we had more stats like that because it's 
a lot of speculation because you know Josh Gibson is kind of the ultimate example mm -hmm. of like the there's you know his historic um you know legend that says he hit like 800 home runs which is pretty crazy so you know <laughs> we wish we had that knowledge but whatever whatever um the players from that league were able to do is now going to be uh counted in history so you know for our history shows it might change up a change up our uh shtick a little bit in terms of you know what how guys compared and you know it might alter some some how about that's but will it though like when you when you look at those how about that's does that include like union association seasons uh yeah it does it does, it does. actually you know what i i hate to um <laughs> i hate to alter it a bit but anyone at home go ahead and look up fred dunlap's 1884 where he took over the where he took over the union association he was like the best player it was it's quite unreal um just off topic but yeah the union association they only they only um were a league for one year and fred dunlap absolutely <laughs> wrecked the entire league he led the league in runs hits home runs the entire quadruple slash line he had a 256 ops plus so these you know that can you know it can be altered but you know i guess you can put uh, a plate appearance minimum on that because you know he didn't he didn't reach 500 plate appearances that year and like it is weird with um i i guess this is more inside stuff but like uh with qualifying seasons, the the eighteen seventy one seasons where they only played like thirty five games, those mm -hmm. count as qualifying seasons. So yeah. sometimes uh sometimes you have to alter that because like Josh Gibson to bring it back to the point is like we don't really know how many games the Negro Leagues played because according to his season. Baseball Reference page, he never had more than two hundred nine plate appearances in a season, which you know, in modern times at 162 game seasons, that'd be like roughly a third of the season. That's kind of like a 60 game season almost. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, you know, if you want to look at so many of his seasons in 1943, his age 31 season, uh, he slashed 486, 489, 862, 1351 uh, with one walk in 183 plate appearances, uh, but also 12 home runs. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things are I mean, from a statistical standpoint, this is, this is a little weird because we don't necessarily know how many of the actual records are out there. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. And I mean, by the way, like, I think it kind of goes without saying that like the, obviously in the Negro leagues, you were facing different people, but I think in a lot of instances, it could have translated very well to the MLB. I mean, if you just look at Satchel page, when he did get the chance to go over there uh, towards the end of his baseball career, in 1951, uh, his age 44 season, I believe he led uh, people with at least 60 innings pitched and strikeouts per nine. He had seven. And also in 1952, in his age 45 season, he pitched 138 innings, had a 307 ERA with a 285 FIP, uh, made the all-star team and got an MVP share, getting 17th. So, I mean, even at age 45, like Satchel Page was a guy who was delivered. And it's a shame that because of you know, how the times were and how the color of his skin, unfortunately, 
he wasn't able to get that chance earlier because I'm sure we could have seen one of the greatest pitching careers of all time. But nonetheless, I mean, we I'm very glad he got his chance uh, and he made the, mo- the most of it for sure. Yeah, it does definitely make sense to um, put it as a major league because also like, you know, yeah. we I guess we talk about, I guess a point that is brought up now is that uh, I think um, African-Americans in baseball make up like less than 10%. I think it's but, like 8%, yeah. But back, you know, when baseball was the most popular sport back, you know, in the 40s and 50s, it was probably ultimately when integration really fully kicked in it was like you know 20 percent, 25 percent maybe so and you know it was just integrated with amazing players pretty much immediately you know jackie robinson willie mays frank robinson roberto clemente uh a bunch of bunch of different uh great hall of famers with hank aaron um so immediately you saw the effect on the game so it does make sense to put it as a major league, you know, not all the players in the Negro league would have been major league quality, but a lot of them would have, uh, anyway, it's sort of like, yeah, sort of like a triple a or, or, or something like that. Very competitive league. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, obviously we'll never be able to answer this question, but if Josh Gibson or, you know, a guy like that was ever able to get his chance, like he probably could have been one of the greatest players of all time, possibly the greatest, I think he was a catcher of yep. all time. Yeah. Like he could have been like, we could be talking about the best catches of all time being Johnny Bench and Josh Gibson. Yeah. It, uh, it would definitely change the conversation if, uh, yeah, if we had all that, all that data, but do we have anything, anything more on, uh, on this, I guess, you know, change of change of ways here. Uh, I mean, I think it's long overdue. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much, how long this was in thought. I mean, I I don't think any like common baseball fan ever really put this out there that it wasn't a league until today, but uh, this was necessary. And I'm glad that we get this recognition that they deserve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So now we move on to uh, the news that we addressed uh, at the beginning of the show, how, yeah, it did happen. Uh, on the night of the recording, about two hours after we recorded our our last episode, yep. Uh, and this is this was a pretty big deal. And actually, it, it is funny. Like um, with name association, yeah. At, at first, when I saw it, I was like, oh, you know, just a, another deal. And then I was like, oh wait, this guy's like been one of the best pitchers in the past two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lance Lynn has been traded from the Texas Rangers to the Chicago White Sox for. Uh, Dane Dunning and I think another minor leaguer. Yeah, Avery wins or something like that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it. You know, Lance Lynn. I. You know, he's known. People know him a lot for like his Cardinals days, and I think he spent like six years with the Cardinals, and he was kind of a you know number, number three, number four guy. But he's developed he's into a weird career arc. Yeah, uh, he's. You know, he sort of found himself, I think, uh, you know, helped worked on like his spin rate and things like that. And, you know, and, uh, you know, ultimately just improved himself as a pitcher generally. And, uh, you know, one of the more valuable guys out there, you know, back when back when uh, Shane Bieber had that crazy start to the season, uh, Lance Lynn was 
up there with him through like the first half of this season. You know, I know it's only a month, but Lance Lynn was uh, was a guy whose ERA was like in the low ones for a little bit. You know, it it went back up, but still, he's been very good, especially in the last two years. I mean, if you really look at his look at all his numbers, ever since 2014, he only really has one bad year. And it was 2018 and that kind of ruined everything because that was like age 31, you know, it, it's sort of a expected rate of when someone starts to decline. So, and it was also in a contract year. I remember like the Rangers signed to do a three year, $30 million deal. Uh, and I remember thinking like, what are they doing? Like they're really paying 10 million a year to Lance Lynn. And I ended up being dead wrong. I guess if you want to show in a little bit of concern, he did have a four one nine FIP in 2020, but he also led the league in innings pitched and game started in and batter's face. So this is a guy, a guy that's going to give you innings. He's going into his age 34 season. And I mean, this is a team that is going to need wins. Uh, mind you, the manager of this team is also the manager that Lynn made his major league debut with. Uh, and it's, you know, if there is an old school style of managing that Tony La Russa plans on inhibiting in Chicago, Lance Lynn is a good type of guy for that. Yeah. He's a, uh... Yeah, he's a guy, I guess he used to be more of a pitch-to-contact kind of guy, but now he's a, now he's more of a, a strikeout guy himself. And Who isn't, though? Everyone's a strikeout guy nowadays. I guess. I guess that is the case. But, yeah, Lance Lynn, if you're, if you, if you're not aware of how good he's been in the, in, since 2019, uh, since 2019, he leads all of Major League Baseball in innings pitched. Uh, he's second in B-War and fifth in F-War among all major league pitchers. So it's a very big deal that he is going to the White Sox and he joins, you know, a makes, makes it out to be a pretty, very respectable rotation in Chicago on the South side of Chicago, you know, Giolito, you think, yeah, you're thinking Giolito, Lynn, Keuchel, Keuchel uh, Cease, and then you have and that amazing lineup. So I think very, very comes good, back to a, a deep team with, uh, with Chicago. Yeah, it's been a very interesting week for Chicago because they gained Lance Lynn. They also lost James McCann, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, I mean, this is a, I think this is a really good. Uh, I know we always talk about one, two punches in a, in a rotation. So this might sound a little weird, but I think he and Keiko make a good two, three punch because they are sort of uh, in different. I mean, they're in similar stages of their career, but they perform so much differently where Keuchel has become a ground ball pitcher that focuses on, you know, pitching to contact uh, when he used to be more of a strikeout guy. And then Lance Lynn, although he's right around the same age, he's sort of the opposite, like you mentioned. Now he's a strikeout guy. So I think that is a good two, three punch to go along with Giolito, uh, who's obviously going to perform. I don't th- I think that's one we can lock in. Um, and, you know, the White Sox, the lack of pitching depth is kind of what, what – uh, led to their downfall in 2020, you know, in game three, they had to start Dane Dunning, who's no longer in the organization, but they had to use him sort of as a secret opener. And they ended up going through basically all their pitchers in that winner go home game. So now you bring in a guy like Lance Lynn, who literally pitched the most innings in the league last year. That's a, that's going to help your team. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's I, not only for the production, but also the, the innings pitch, the workload and things like that. And yeah, yeah. like, you know, if, if you were to t- yeah, like when we were pre when we were previewing the, uh, the white Sox 
uh, coming into 2020 talked about, you know, mostly the offense and I guess the top two guys in the pitching staff. Now you got three very respectable guys cease who you're kind of working on. He's a bit of a project. And then uh, I think you mentioned uh, Kopex coming back yeah. um, from Tommy John surgery, who has been a top prospect for a while and actually looked pretty good uh, when he was in the majors before he had to get surgery. So he did. And I think uh, he opted out of this season. So he's healthy. Yeah. He's, he's definitely ready to go. Um, presumably. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if they weren't AL central favorites before, definitely AL central favorites now. I mean, I think we all know what the concern is with the White Sox. It's not the lineup. It's not the pitching. It's uh, Hall of Famer baseball person. Yes. Hall of Famer baseball person of the year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, uh, and anything more on the uh, Lance Lynn deal? I think that's about it. Yeah. Got, got right through it. So uh, speaking of White Sox, not White Sox, uh, coming into the organization but all but white Sox that are heading out not that the white Sox are really losing much because they already have an all-star catcher in yasmani grandal but james mccann uh has signed with the new york mets for a four-year 40 million dollar deal um so it looks like the mets are going to have a a pretty decent uh catcher for the for what seems like the next four years yeah, I mean, I think the most surprising thing to me with this deal was the longevity of it. I mean, I don't think a lot of people were – I mean, I at least I wasn't really thinking four years for James McCann. Uh, and, I mean, you know, JT Romuto's got to love that because that's going to make the market on him so much better. And uh, we'll talk about him in a little bit because this does have a big impact on him. But James McCann, um, he's obviously going to be leaving a team with a very good lineup, so – uh, the White Sox probably aren't kicking themselves for this one. I don't really know if they made any effort anyway, but um, he made some big improvements offensively after leaving the Tigers. Uh, his best single season OPS plus was an 88. He goes over to Chicago, gets a 108 and then a 144 this year. He had an OPS close to 900 this previous season. So uh, Steve Cohen, uh, you know, he's been coming in, making some moves. We talked last week about Trevor May. This week we're talking about James McCann. And uh, it's interesting because he's going back to a pitcher-friendly ballpark, which is where he was in Detroit. I don't know if that's going to play much of a factor. What do you think? Um, what I will say is, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, um, offensive adjustments were made. And, you know, I guess, you know, Comerica Park, I, I wouldn't put Park – much into it because Comerica Park is not like the ultimate pitcher's park and uh, guaranteed rate field is not the ultimate like uh, it's more I mean pitcher's park yeah I guess what I was trying to say with that he's going he's going somewhere where that is less favorable to a hitter yeah like I think guaranteed rate is still much more favorable than city field yeah I uh, I guess and you know McCann by the way uh since 2019 top five uh in f4 among catchers yeah so that is a uh that is a good sign if if you're a mets fan and wondering how good he is he's been a t uh, since 2019 according to f4 he's been a top five catcher in baseball so that's what you're getting um i think the mets are 
Mets are really hoping that, you know, it doesn't go like necessarily like the Wilson Ramos deal, which wasn't a big failure, but was a little disappointing. Uh, I think going long-term might be more of a, a strategy for them because, you know, I don't think, I guess I'm guessing they don't really have, um, a catcher coming up in the farm system. Uh, I mean, literally three and a half months ago, we were talking about them acquiring Robinson Torinos at the trade deadline. Yeah. So that's what their catcher situation looked like before this. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't great. So, you know, they're going long-term at, you know, they figure why not invest in that Steve Cohen, he's coming in. He's not worried about, um, he's not worried about a budget quite yet. Uh, this is his first year. And, uh, made sure to get that deal done but yeah it's it's good i mean it's you know it's another it's you know like the trevor may deal it's it's uh you know filling a spot i guess this is more important than the trevor may deal but you know definitely filling a a necessary spot not no splashes yet but you know very necessary for the mets which is what -hmm. you like to see yeah this was a move that needed to be made this is this improves their team uh their catcher position by a lot uh, that's, I don't know. I mean, the Mets have a pretty good lineup, honestly, this like McCann might be like a bottom of the lineup type of guy, uh, which I think is good for him because he's not going to play, have to play as big of a role and kind of what he's used to in Chicago. I mean, he was part of a very deep lineup over there too. Now he comes to New York where he's with guys like Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, JD Davis, Michael Conforto, Brandon Nimmo, uh, Dom Smith. Like he's, you know, he, there's some star power in that lineup and McCann is the newest addition. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, when you, when you talk about that, um, I, like the Mets are one big splash away from like being serious, seriously contending with the Braves. Yeah. Uh, if, you know, I guess, you know, with the Mets, you, they always go in a different direction than you expect them to. Um, but this is different, but it seems, it seems different. Mm-hmm. They might have a little bad luck, but um, I think, it should work by all accounts. It should work. It doesn't, it's not a bad deal. It's good I mean, deal with the sides. Mets, the, the issue has always been the ability for their players to stay healthy. Uh, James McCann, I don't think is a serious injury history. Uh, he played 31 games last year. So I guess that's not great, but he also probably split time at catcher or DH. Yeah. Yeah. That's not great, but you know, I mean, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I don't, I would assume that him playing only half the games last year was because he was behind Yasmani Grandal. Um, I, yeah, I don't think I would. They would have had Edwin. They would have had Edwin as their DH, and they would have had Grandal as their catcher. They would have had Abreu at first. Yeah, yeah. So I want to get that right though. Was I wouldn't put I wouldn't put too much stock into it, but yeah, I mean it's a it's kind of a a very basic good deal for both sides something it is. something you like to see uh, and for the white Sox, it isn't too bad of a loss either uh, i think they can get by without him i don't think they've they don't think they've made any additions to the lineup this offseason that i'm aware of nothing serious i don't know if they're really going for anyone on this market um i know they were like sort of like a possible contender for guys like springer um for guys I can't, I can't really think of anyone outside of Springer that they were really like in and not even really like conversations or rumors, just kind of like, oh, it would make sense. 
Uh, so I don't know how much they're going to really add, but either way, I think this lineup is good going into next year, especially when you added Lance Lynn. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. They do. They do need to get Alex Colomay back though. I will say that. Yeah. Cause he, he was a big reason why the bullpen wasn't an issue last year. It was awesome. Yeah. Hold on. Let me um, look at it. I think he had like a sub one ERA. Yeah. He, he was, um, at 081. Yeah, I do remember. Like, uh, 297 FIP, not great, but still, I mean, not great in accordance to that ERA, but even still, you'll take a 297 FIP. Yeah, he was a he was a serious contender for like reliever of the year. I remember like MLB put out a like MLB Twitter put out a poll uh, of like AL reliever of the year, and Colome was one of the finalists, and he is one, a, uh, one of the three he's, options. He has a 227 ERA over the last two years with the White Sox. Yeah, very, very good. And yeah, if you don't, yeah, if you don't have him, there might be concerns. Actually, and you... since, since 2016, he has a 2.62 ERA. Yeah, that's pretty, that's, that's very that's good. very underrated. Yeah, you, the ranks. you want him in there because if you have him, if you have him back, you can confidently say that the White Sox are a complete team and yeah. they don't really have any clear holes. And there were a couple guys in the White Sox bullpen that broke out last year, or uh, like Evan Marshall uh, was one of those guys. There were a few others as well. I mean, they had Garrett Crochet come up uh, straight from the draft. That was pretty cool to see. Uh, Matt Foster was one of those guys. Jimmy, uh, definitely not Jimmy Cordero. Um, Cody uh, Hearer was another one as well. Like they had guys that came up last year that were big for them in the bullpen. Uh, but I still think Colomay should be a guy that they is on the radar. He is yeah, the he 11th was... ERA among relievers that are qualified since 2016. Yeah, that's almost cracking the, the top 10. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely uh, should be on the lookout for that um, mm-hmm. if, you're the, if you're the White Sox, if you're associated with the White Sox at all. Um, it would make a lot of sense to, uh, to bring him back. But, yeah, uh, the Mets ultimately getting a good catcher, the White Sox, not really losing much because they already have a great catcher uh, with Yasmani Grandal that they gave a lot of money to uh, already. So, you know, all, all positives there, even, yeah. you know, the White Sox didn't really lose that much. So, uh, but basically all po- positives and uh, the last bit of news we will get to before we address our bubble case of the week in terms of hall of fame, uh, the Cleveland Indians, uh, after 2021, uh, will be retiring the name Indians. Uh, they Is it after be... 2021? Uh, I believe so. Huh. Yeah. Um, they will. They will be. Yeah, they'll be. Uh, <laughs> they're they're going to go on a farewell tour with that with that name. Interesting. And they're going to uh, change it after that. So I guess. Uh, you know, this has been discussed. I, I remember it first being discussed. Um, I don't know if it was the name or the logo, but I remember there were like uh, protests at the 2015 ALCS, like outside the Rogers Center or something like that. So that would have um, been 2016 then, right? Or yeah, 2016, correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a, uh, it was a problem, and so I guess it's been a four-year development. And at least, uh, at least I guess yeah. it kind of makes sense. 
I mean, they already got rid of Chief Wahoo a couple of years ago. Uh, they started the consideration process right around the time that the Washington football team decided to disband it from their name. Uh, so I think it was sort of just by affiliation. But I mean, once you heard that they were considering changing it over the summer, you knew that it was going to happen because you, you can't just say that you're considering it, but then decide to keep it. Like, that's not that's not going to go over well. Um, as far as potential names, uh, we've both been very adamant about bringing back the Cleveland Naps. Yep. I don't, it's probably not going to happen, but I just want to live in a world where I believe it can. For sure, me too. But by the way, for people who are unaware, uh, Nap Lejoie was the best uh, player for Cleveland. So naturally, for one year, by the way. Uh, for so naturally, yeah, for one year, one year before the name, yeah. So naturally, they named themselves the Cleveland Naps from 1903 to 1914 until I honestly uh, I think that all teams should just name their team after their best player I mean like there are teams where it would be appropriate because they like or I guess it's it would be different Philadelphia Schmitz yeah like uh yeah I there would be some conflicts but yeah like Boston Williams Boston (laughs) Williams is that would be nice the New York Ruths I feel like there would be a giant debate in San Francisco. Like, do you name? Ah, uh-huh. I see what you did there. The, what? A giant debate there in San Francisco. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah giant debate in San Francisco with yeah. uh with like Mays and and Bonds. Coming up, it's the it's the San Francisco Mays versus the Miami Conines. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Who even is their wins above replacement leader? Hanley I think Ramirez. it's Jeff Conine. The Miami Sheffields. We got we got the New York Roofs versus the Tampa Bay Longorias. <laughs> yeah, the what would Arizona what would Arizona be? The, the Arizona Johnsons. Yeah, nice. Uh, There'd be like three teams named the Ryan's. Yeah, true. <laughs> the Very Houston true, Ryan's man. versus the Texas Ryan's. Against the Los the, Angeles Ryans of Anaheim. Chicago Ansons from <laughs> that's their wins above replacement leader, Cap yeah. Anson. Who... Well, that means the, the we would have to be, have the Pittsburgh Wagners. Yes, for sure. I w- would not be opposed to that. Yeah, unironically, give them the, give us the Pittsburgh Wagners. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, the also the, I guess the most popular on the internet is the Spiders who yeah. um. They, uh, that was their name before the Naps. Um, because <laughs> nobody's talking about the Cleveland Broncos. That was their name before the Naps. That was their actual name before the Naps. Yeah, and they're the Cleveland Broncos in 1902. And after one year of Naplejoie, where he hit, where he had a 900, 990 OPS, they're like, all right, we're the Cleveland Naps now. They could go back to the uh, Cleveland Forest Cities <laughs> from 1871. Yeah. I would uh, be so happy if they did that. <laughs> that could, that might be the new leader in the clubhouse for me. The Cleveland Forest Cities. They could uh, pay tribute to their 1872 six and sixteen season. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those are those are just a few of the recommendations that we personally have here at the show to be named later. They'll just uh, <laughs> they'll just have like the skeleton of Deacon White throw out the first pitch at the first game. Yeah, and here is 
Here's Deacon White's great, 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 great granddaughter. <laughs> he was born December 2nd, 1847 in Canton, New York. His slavery was still going on, and this dude was in a hospital in Canton. Yeah. <laughs> on Canton, not Canton. Never mind. Oh, yeah. He's literally, yeah, literally, uh, he was 18 when the, uh, when the war ended. Yeah. By war, I mean civil war. <laughs> No, 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 not not World War II, not the Cold War. No, the the American Civil War. Yeah. Uh, when Abe Lincoln freed the slaves, he wrote the Emancipation Proclamation. Deacon White was just out here, uh, getting ready to play for the four cities. A couple yeah. years later, he was good to enlist. Honestly, he probably was. I mean, he was born in 1847, so he would have been like at the perfect age to uh to fight for to fight for freedom. Yeah. The- now that begs the question is like how many civil war veterans were in uh were in major league baseball i guess probably the, a decent the, amount the, I mean, what do you mean the national association or yeah the national association the national league um but yeah yeah i'll never forget that 10 and 19 season <laughs> yeah the cleveland also Force. we need to they need to play their first game in fort wayne by the way because that's where the first game was ever played <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Against the Keki Inges. But yeah, so uh, that's that's those are our thoughts on the uh, <laughs> on Cleveland changing their their name. I guess yeah, you know you can't you can't not do it after you said you're consider you were considering it because that would not have a good outlook. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I'm kind of happy they didn't go with Cleveland baseball team um, like Washington did, but that'd be a good meme though. It would be, it would be the perfect response, definitely. Uh, <laughs> baseball club, baseball club, the, the Cleveland, the Cleveland ball club. baseball club. Cleveland ball club. I mean, if you named your team ball club, I mean, that's not. <laughs> it's better than ball team, baseball team. If you're, yeah, or the Cleveland club. The Cle- oh my god! Can we just make that permanent? The Cleveland club. Yeah, the Cleveland club. <laughs> The, the Cleveland Naps, the Cleveland Spiders, uh, the Cleveland Four Cities. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, uh, Jim Jim Tomey went into the Hall of Fame with his club hat on. <laughs> it's, it's just it's literally just the letter C logo. Yeah. Er, oh, wait, does Tomey have the C? He probably has a C because I know he was, like, openly against the Chief Wahoo logo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you go with Cleveland Club, you could also do like a C with that with inside a C. That would mean, yeah. Does anyone's Hall of Fame plaque have Chief Wahoo on the hat? Probably like Bob Feller, and uh, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Tommy, don't Tommy know has the recently. C. Uh, Bob Feller also has the C. I don't think so. Uh, Larry Doby. Yeah, uh, Larry Doby probably is the C as well. It's the same era. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and like they didn't have anybody in like from like the seventies or the eighties. No. Um, Ed Tommy. Ed. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Probably a good thing. Uh, in twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Nice to see. But yeah, so that is uh, that's all the news that we have for the week. Um very 
slow news week, but uh, we made the most out of it, I would say. We had a couple um, big moves. Yeah, couple couple decent moves. Like, yeah, I think, yeah, the Lancelin one definitely, I think, got put under the radar. Like that, if he was in free agency, he would have been right up there with like Bauer, Bauer. in terms yes, of yes, a hundred percent in terms um, of targets. Starting to wonder, like, what teams really are going to like are going to be in the market for Real Muto because. The Phillies – oh, we should probably talk about the Phillies hiring Dave Dombrowski. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's another That happened that, this week. Um, it happened. Yeah, it's like we're not done with news. Yeah, so the Phillies hired Dave Dombrowski to be their next general manager. Uh, I don't think anyone is surprised to see him getting a job once again in baseball. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a proven winner. He's built winning teams uh, virtually with every club he's been with. He's only won – he's won the World Series twice, and – he is now with the Philadelphia Phillies. It's weird because what my my initial reaction when I saw this was you could have looked at the Phillies roster without any context and predicted that Dave Dombrowski built them. Um yeah, very very much so. Uh you know, the you know, the obvious the obvious Dave Dombrowski signs are, you know, big stars, lots of money being spent. Uh, not a well-developed bullpen and not a well-developed farm system. And I guess the Phillies check all those, all those points. Yeah. I mean, they have, obviously they're, they're paying Bryce Harper 27 mil a year. Like they were last year. They have guys like Wheeler, Arietta, McCutcheon, Segura, uh, even Didi and Real Muto making that made above $10 million last year. Uh, they're probably going to have to pay guys like Nola soon. Uh, they already extended Scott Kingery, like before he even played a game. Um, yeah, and then obviously the bullpen. I mean, they need no introduction. The worst bullpen in baseball last year. Definitely in the National League, probably baseball. Yeah, I mean, it has. it's very weird because it's confusing as to whether they're actually going to be able to spend money or not. Like, that's been an actual question that people have been wondering. So, because Dave Dombrowski is a guy where if you hire him, you want to win and you want to spend money to win. Yeah, it like the... With the point, and I think it's kind of obvious, we, we both agree on this, the point, hiring him now doesn't really make that much sense. No. Like, I could have, I predicted he would have gone to the Angels uh, because that's sort of a, a team that's building itself from the ground up and is going to have money to spend. They don't exactly have it right now, but next year they have guys like Pujols and Upton off the books uh, that's going to clear up a lot of spending room for them. Uh, but that's besides the point. The Phillies are a team that is, already has a top five payroll in all of baseball. They haven't finished above 500 since 2011. They've kind of just been hovering over the past few years. They, they should have made it to the playoffs a bunch of times. Um, it's just very confusing to see what sort of direction they're heading in. They, there were those reports last week about them shopping Zach Wheeler, but then uh, the front office and management was like, no, we're not doing that at all. So it is very weird, but it's definitely interesting to see what Dave Dombrowski may or may not bring to this club. Yeah, and, you know, like, I know that this particular organization wasn't looking for a general manager, but, like, he would have been a good guy to take over, like, with the White Sox or something. Yeah. Somewhere somewhere with a good farm system or at least good young players that you can trade off to. I don't think the White Sox would get rid of Rick though. It's the only thing. Yeah, that's but like you know the the type of organization that he would take over that would be a 
type of organization because you know when he took over the 2015 to 16 Red Sox, it was a very well developed farm system. They had money to spend, um, he did and that. that's exactly what he did. And it was the perfect formula to get a to get a championship. But this one, it's it's weird. Like it, it he showed up like they or at least they hired him probably two three years late. Um, it, you know, I, I know he was like I, I, he was I mean obviously he was, he was with Boston, but like. Like it would have made sense. Like you would have thought they hired him the season before they, the off season, but that they brought in Bryce Harper because that's when they brought in McCutcheon. That's when they brought in Segura. That's when they brought in real Muto. Like, and then to top it all off, they signed Harper to a 13 year, $330 million deal with no opt outs. So like that would have made sense. So of course he was in Boston at that time, but it's interesting. Yeah. It's uh, it's weird, you know, because yeah, what the Phillies are trying to do now, or like, I don't really know what the Phillies are trying to do now, but it's not uh, a, a Dave Dombrowski formula where it's getting the big guys because they already have the big guys. It's just every every surrounding position and, you know, their bullpen and their three through five starters, all those areas need to be addressed. And Dave Dombrowski is not really that type of general manager. He makes He makes the big moves. Mm-hmm. they don't really need to make the big moves anymore they need to address the the you know s- smaller holes in the uh yeah. in the roster i mean you i mean first of all you should get you should look to get jt real muto back like that's a guy that 110 percent makes your team better outside of harper you could probably argue that that's the best guy in your lineup uh you gotta like what you have with alec Baum. you gotta like what you have with reese hoskins you gotta hope that andrew mccutcheon has still has something in the tank you're losing dd gregoria <sighs> You do still have Gene Segura, um, but I mean, they're like there are some holes in this lineup still. Like Phil Gosselin was your DH last year, and like that you can't expect to be a playoff team when you have Phil Gosselin. But then again, you got to expect Scott Kingery to be better. Um, Mickey Moniak came up last year, so there are guys with potential, but this is a team that's going to need to rely on a lot of guys to step up next year, uh, especially in a loaded division like that. I mean. You could make. I've I said this a couple of weeks ago. You can make the case that on paper this is the worst team in the division. Yeah, um, especially with all the uh, problems they have to address, um, because it's a very top. It's a very very top heavy team, and then it's a it's a steep decline from there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, with the Phillies, I feel like they should have, if they wanted to hire a new general manager, I you know I guess go i would have gone for a more i guess heim bloom type a guy that's worked in a smaller payroll situation who you know can kind of wheel and deal get some someone who came from i mean the red sox just got billy bean which i know that they've been in those discussions for 18 years but that would have been a perfect type of guy to bring in yeah like a guy that randomly can get you a nick anderson or Mm -hmm. randomly uh get you um, randy rosarena yeah, raised Randy Rosarena, um, you know, people who kind of have that deep knowledge of things that are going on uh, at the lower levels, and you know, addressing the problems that aren't aren't as glaring as you know, or the not the you know crazy problems. You know, getting seventh, eighth, ninth inning guys, um, getting a you know an extra outfielder, things like that. Um, but yeah, 
anything anything more on the on the uh Phillies hiring of, of Dave Dombrowski other than just kind of general confusion? Confusion needs confusion. I'm surprised that it happened at this stage of where the Phillies are at. Yeah, I I d- personally don't see it <laughs> working that well. Uh if I had to make a prediction, I, I think I think uh it's probably gonna get worse for the Phillies. If they couldn't make the playoffs in a sixteen team format in sixty games uh, I don't know when they only what, had to win two of their last 10 games to make it in. Yeah. Or uh, however many it was like, I don't know. I don't know where they, where they go from here. Um, maybe they surprise us. I don't know. Two of the last, and they had to win, win two of their last eight games and they went one and seven. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately. Yes. Uh, that was a problem, but yeah. So that now we are now we are officially done with the uh, yes. the news unless unless something comes up again, unless we think of something that happened that we forgot to report on. Yeah, I mean it. You know, it's been nine days since we recorded, so uh, it makes sense that you know we could we could forget a story like that. But you know, we got most of them. We did. Um, so now we move on to uh, our bubble case of the week, where we're addressing a. Uh, a, a guy who's on the Hall of Fame ballot, who um, I guess is being, you know, the theme has been guys that are sort of getting ignored by the writers, but probably should be get, getting more consideration. It's this is one case. of the top cases of that. This is, yeah, one of the one of the top cases with that. That's been the general theme so far. Um, so first we talked about Bobby Abreu. Uh, our second week was Mark Burley, who's in his uh, first who's on his first ballot. Uh, then last week we talked about Todd Helton and this week we're talking about Andrew Jones, uh, one of the more dominant guys of the early two thousands, uh, believe it or not, uh, believe it based on the, based on the actual statistics, but yeah, Andrew Jones, um, he has been ignored. Generally speaking, he's been on three ballots, uh, thus far, um, he had he got 7.3% in 2018, 7.5% in 2019, uh, and 19.4% in 2020. And thus far in the current election, out of 43 ballots that have been casted out of, you know, 396. out of, yeah, 400 that are going to be cast, ultimately, uh, Andrew Jones currently has 30.2%. So based off of the small sample, getting a bit of a rise um something to be optimistic about uh in the future because he's not getting in this year most you know probably but you know by the by his eighth ninth tenth time there's potential there so uh you know what what's the what's the general like look with uh with andrew jones like when when we see andrew jones what what, what are we seeing with the hall of fame case well we're seeing i mean the first thing that people tend to look at his wins above replacement and that is favorable to him. 62.7 B war, 67 F war. One of the few guys of this era to have a higher F war than uh, B war. So that's interesting. Uh, on baseball reference, he had a 46.4 peak war, which is when they take the great best seven seasons they had and add them all up, which is actually above average among hall of fame center fielders. So he, you know, his peak would fit right in with everyone else's. Uh, this is a little concerning. His career slash line is 254, 337, 486, 823, 
that is his slash line. 111 OPS plus and 111 weighted runs created plus. 1,933 career hits, 434 career home runs. Uh, so obviously power numbers are pretty good. And also his defense. Uh, that's one of his strongest traits on a baseball field. 24.4 defensive war, which is 22nd of all time. And 278.8 defensive runs above average, with his, which is 11th all time. He won 10 gold gloves in center field. And he hit 273 with a 796 OPS in 279 plate appearances in the playoffs. So, Chris, you made uh, some comparisons, uh, people that were right around his range. Yeah. And first I'll say, like, this is probably our most unique um, case so far because, you know, uh, the we've done two position players, one pitcher. Pitchers are pretty easy to get a grasp of statistically um and the two position players we did were offensive dominant so it's really a thing of you know got did they excel at offense enough andrew jones it's you know it's debating like the combination of offense and defense is he a hall of famer because offense alone uh not a hall of famer defense alone like like if he had a if he was very bad offensively, uh, he would, you know, not be Hall of Fame caliber. An example of that would be uh, Omar Vizquel, who, um, you know, not going to get into his news, but, you know, we've talked about Omar Omar Vizquel being 18% below average hitter. Um, Andrew Jones is 11% above average hitter. But if he was at that level of being, you know, that below average, um, that alone would not give him like a solid uh his defense alone would not give him a solid hall of fame case but you know because he's above he was above average uh i think there's we both think that there's definitely a solid case so it's interesting with that because you know with todd helton and bobby abreu were we were just looking at their offense because they were average to below average defensively and it's a lot easier to measure when it's when we're really only looking at one side of uh one side of the game but with this, it's uh, it's very interesting because we have to look at kind of the combined efforts of, of Andrew Jones. So to the comparisons that – actually, the one comparison I made, I, it's only with uh, wins above replacement. So uh, he had 62.7 B-War, and here are the – and he did it in 8,664 plate appearances. So here's the list of retired players with – 60 to 65 B war in 7,500 to 9,500 plate appearances. And uh, I note the plate appearances because, you know, getting 60 B war in 7,500 plate appearances is a lot different than getting 60 B war in like 11,000 plate appearances. You know, the guy with 7,500 plate appearances was probably a little more dominant during his time um, and was probably better while he, while he played, even though he didn't have as much longevity. But anyway, uh, those players with those specific uh, filters, uh, Reggie Smith, who is a first ballot drop, uh, Chase Utley, who I believe likely will get into the Hall of Fame, uh, Joe Cronin, who is a Hall of Famer, Billy Hamilton, no, not that Billy Hamilton, but Dead Ball era Hall of Famer Billy Hamilton, uh, who is well known for his base stealing ability and his walks. Uh, Ken Boyer, who we actually talked about last week, 
uh, he maxed out on ballots. Uh, Mark McGuire is also in fits this criteria. Uh, he would be a guaranteed Hall of Famer if not for PEDs. Uh, Jack Lascock, who is a dead ball era non Hall of Famer. Uh, Todd Helton, who we talked about last week uh, as our bubble case, he's on the ballot. He's getting some traction right now. Yes, he he's uh, plus seven, I believe. Yeah, he's he's doing pretty well this year. Uh, Sal Bondo, who is a first ballot drop. Jim Edmonds, who was a first ballot drop. And Keith Hernandez, who was a ninth ballot drop. So actually, I would say that um, the comparison... The, the, those two last be, ones should be Hall of Famers. Yeah, they're... There's definitely cases, but I guess in terms of trends, in terms of what the writers look at, uh, I guess they don't really favor Andrew Jones, but you know, we kind of disagree with that because there are guys in that list that we think probably should be Hall of Famers. Like I think that, you know, Ken Boyer and uh, Keith Hernandez definitely, I believe, should be a Hall of Famer. And then I would he's... add, I mean, Chase Udley obviously isn't eligible yet. I think he, sh- I think he's going to have my vote when he gets on. Jim Edmonds, I'd also argue, is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, Jim Edmonds and uh, Sal Bondo is a guy who um, had good defense and a, a guy who is like a combined effort guy, not really dominating one side of the ball. And usually with comparisons, I will compare – guys in a certain range of OPS plus, but like we mentioned, it's really more of a combined effort with Andrew Jones in terms of offense and defense. So I'm not really comparing uh, offensive numbers this episode because he was so prominent defensively and it, it really wouldn't be fair to compare him uh, offensively to anybody because, you know, it definitely wouldn't benefit him. And uh, it, it would be, it would be quite odd to, to just do that. But uh, is there any, anything that you draw um, from these comparisons before I get into the case against uh, Andrew Jones? I think we kind of discovered it. Like there's a lot of guys on this list that get uh, the short end of the stick. And it seems like Andrew Jones has gotten that so far in his time on the ballot. Yeah, but luckily, uh, luckily, luckily we do have the modern statistics now that uh, guys like Keith Hernandez and, and Ken Boyer, like, didn't benefit from mm-hmm. um so yeah luckily luckily we have that and then and you know newer age writers um more advanced uh knowledge of things like this uh help helps uh helps jones out especially you know he's going to be you know with this year he'll be on seven more ballots as long as he doesn't get below five percent which he probably will not be getting below five i doubt it at any point um but anyway, uh, the case against Andrew Jones being in the Hall of Fame, it's a lot of the more, you know, basic, uh, you know, evaluation points. Uh, his ability to get on base uh, at a 337 clip was kind of par for the course, especially for his era, uh, played in a more offensive era. So a 337 on base percentage. And, you know, if you want, if you're an average person uh, or a batting average person, then get out. He only hit 254. Um, so if, uh, you know, in terms of getting on base, getting on base from hits, um, he was not as, he was not very effective. He was very, you know, he was more power heavy. Um, but, you know, on base, on base wise uh, was not, you know, he was par for the course. Also, Andrew Jones, 
he had a very steep decline. Uh, so he, he had a very dominant era for sure, but uh, he fell off pretty much immediately after that. So that would go in the case against him. Didn't really have very much longevity. Um, I, I think that's why, you know, if Andrew Jones had two or three qu more quality years, he got to, you know, he could have maybe, if he didn't have such a steep decline, maybe got to 500 home runs. Maybe he's in already, but uh, he did not have the longevity. And also in the case against Andrew Jones, he did not reach 2,000 hits or 1,000 walks. Uh, that kind of ties in with the with the on-base stuff, but uh, and also it ties into his longevity. Didn't really hit those milestones. Uh, also with Andrew Jones, he struck out 100 plus times in 11 seasons. And he did not exceed a 136 OPS plus in a season. Uh, so he, he wasn't exactly dominant uh, with the bat for his era. And he never finished in the top 10 in any slash line category. Um, so, you know, even though he is, you know, the case for him, he's above average offensively. He never really had a dominant run offensively uh, as he was never top 10 in you know, average on base percentage slugging or OPS never cracked the top 10 there. And in terms of the MVP vote, he only finished in the top five once uh, in 2005. And uh, the last thing I will say in the case against Andrew Jones, the case you could make against Andrew Jones being in the hall of fame is even with defensive metrics, defensive ability and his impact on the game can be very subjective. You know, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, uh, I kind of understand the argument of defensive metrics, not real, you know, not being that, uh, reliable. So if, you know, if you were someone that watched Andrew Jones and you're not, and you were not that impressed, so to say, or, uh, don't really think he's on a, doesn't exceed a hall of fame standard, um, you know, there's, there is that argument because I would say with, with offense, with offensive statistics, I don't really need an eye test for offensive stuff, but with defensive stuff, I definitely understand having to kind of take a look at somebody to understand that. But, you know, in the case for him, he did do, do some spectacular things defensively and he definitely had a very positive impact on the game defensively. But in the case against him, uh, if you doubt defensive metrics, wins above replacement can be deceiving like that. So, um, you know, if you're if you're not very into defensive metrics, um, you might doubt uh, Andrew Jones's Hall of Fame legitimacy. But uh, if you are into that stuff, there's a very very solid case for Andrew Jones being in the Hall of Fame. Right. So. We mentioned before his peak war of 40, uh, around 46.4, I believe it was, above average among Hall of Fame center fielders. So not just above average, period. Above average among those who are already in Cooperstown. Uh, Andrew Jones' peak would fit right in. And he led, he was top five in baseball reference wins above replacement four times during his career, which is a pretty substantial amount. He led the league in defensive war four times. He finished top five six times, and he finished in the top 10 nine times throughout his career. And uh, a lot of people on the ballot don't get consideration because of their alleged PED use. 
as of now, knock on wood, there have been no PED allegations against Andrew Jones. Uh, so that's definitely something promising if, you know, a writer chooses not to vote for Barry Bonds. Andrew Jones would be a really good alternative because he was very versatile on the field. He did everything extraordinarily well. He's yeah. The only- and, and we're going to mention like in his dominant era, he was behind, you know, two guys that were controversial because of their PED yeah. use. So like right. if you take them out, they would have been, he would have been the best player of that era. So right. uh, definitely benefits him for sure. He is the only player in major league baseball history to have a hundred wins above replacement runs batting and 220 wins above replacement runs fielding. I'm going to explain what those stats mean. It's essentially just, I know war, you know, is, can be confusing, but it's essentially just like uh, the amount of wins above replacement runs you produced while batting and runs you saved while fielding. Andrew Jones is the only player with a hundred batting runs and 220 uh, fielding runs. And if you were to lower that filter to 100 and 200, 100 offensive, 200 defensive, the only players who apply to that are Andrew Jones, Adrian Beltre, and Roberto Clemente. I don't think anyone's challenging the Hall of Fame candidacies of Adrian Beltre and Roberto Clemente. Uh, you mentioned earlier his, 2000, his 2005 season. That is the only season in Major League history with 50 home runs and a defensive war above 2.0, which is very impressive. Yeah. Um, Andrew Jones is one of just 26 players to have exactly five seasons of six plus of six B war, uh, six plus uh, 17 of those players are in the hall of fame. So that means uh, I believe eight or nine would be left out. Yeah. Uh, but the players who are not in on that list are shoeless Joe Jackson, who was involved in the black Sox scandal. Ken Boyer, who we mentioned earlier was maxed out on ballots. Todd Helton, our previous bubble case who was on the ballot. Andrew Jones, of course, our case. And then Adrian Beltre, Chase Utley, Joey Votto, Josh Donaldson, and Mookie Betts, all of which are not eligible. So yeah. uh, he's among some pretty great players there of exactly five seasons of six plus B- B-War. And he has the seventh highest F4 among outfielders since the year 1970. That is 50 years ago. So over the last, over the last 50 years of baseball, the top seven outfielders in wins above replacement, according to fan graphs, are Barry Bonds, Ricky Henderson, Ken Griffey Jr., Mike Trout, Larry Walker, and Carlos Beltran. And then right behind them is Andrew Jones. Fits right in. So now yeah. we want to take a look at his peak. He had the third highest F4 um, in the majors, not filtering anything, from 1997 to 2006. The only people ahead of him were Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez, both of them alleged PED users. One of them confirmed, one of them alleged, but let's be real, he definitely did it. He is also one of three players in MLB history with 400 home runs, an offensive war above 35, and a defensive war above 20. The other two are Adrian Beltre, like we mentioned before, and Cal Ripken Jr. Jones is one of three players of all time with four seasons with 20 stolen bases and two and a 2.5 defensive war. Ozzie Smith and Joe Tinker are the other two. They are both Hall of Famers. Uh, there have been 10 seasons in baseball history where a player has produced 26 home runs, 20 stolen bases and a D war above 2.5. Andrew Jones owns three of them. Nobody else has more than one. And then lastly, Andrew Jones has six seasons with an 800, 800 plus OPS and a 1.5 D war. And that is tied for the most in baseball history 
with Chase Utley, Alex Rodriguez, and Hall of Famer Joe Gordon. So he's right up there with all the greats as far as guys who could hit, play defense, and run. Yeah, for sure. He is definitely uh, an embodiment of an all-around player, especially during his prime. You know, he slowed down at the base running later in his career, um, as, you know, everyone does. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's that's the tough thing with Jones, though, is, um, you know, he doesn't have – he didn't – I guess he did dominate in one aspect of the game, but it's, you know, it's defense, and people don't really look at that. You know, he's not part of an exclusive, like – 500 home run club or you know having like 2500 hits it's you know the it's you know the defensive runs above average club it's the uh you know combined batting runs and uh defensive runs all these you know crazy stats but you know even with that he did win 10 gold gloves he had the respect of his peers he obviously was a great fielder no no ifs ands and buts about it and you know a According to, you know, uh, baseball reference and fan graphs, he was 11% uh, better than the average uh, hitter. Uh, so with all that, with the combined package, that's a legit great baseball player for sure. And absolutely, you know, we're, I guess, I guess we're selling ourselves out here, but do we want to, I was going to say, do we want to say where we stand on him? Yeah. Uh, I'm adding him this year. And I decided on that back in March. Yeah. I'm, I think I will definitely be be adding him. Yeah, like, I did I'm, not. I did not vote for him last year, nor have I ever voted for him before. But that's going to change this year. Yeah, because I'm thinking of like my um my Hall of Fame power rankings in terms of where I feel like they are. I think Andrew Jones. I think is there's like, a chance we might just have the exact same ballot. Yeah, I think I think Jones is top five for me in terms of voting. I put him ahead of uh. I put him a- ahead of like Todd Helton, who I probably will be putting on the ballot. I put him ahead of Bobby Abreu, who we've already done, and you know a couple other guys that I probably will be having yeah, like, on the ballot. So yeah. I-, I think I'm definitely going to be putting him on my mock ballot, um, as as you will as well. Yes. Now, obviously, our votes don't matter. Hopefully, one day they will. But um, yeah, that would be so cool that's honestly like i've kind of realized that might be my dream job just to have a vote in the hall maybe i'll just ask jeff passon for his <laughs> yeah we'll do it we'll do a collective one i mean we're gonna have the same one anyway probably so or or like jeff passon should have <laughs> or actually he, he should like auction off his ballot he would like so you know <laughs> he'd get in trouble for this but if he if he made it like the um you know how the packers they don't have an owner they the fans own it yeah so he would do a fan vote <laughs> like on on like a website honestly i'm not even kidding you man i would trust that more than like 30 percent of the writers yeah or or even like if yeah if you you write an application or something like that or you yeah you have like you have to like submit a resume five, to get jeff's approval yeah and for every person you check off uh you like have a five sentence thing on why you're checking them off That'd be pretty cool in a in a hypothetical situation. Yeah, like you can't just like let in some troll who's gonna put in like a Latroy Hawkins only ballot. Yeah, yeah, you can't. No disrespect to Latroy Hawkins, but that's not acceptable. But yeah, the the people's Great ballot guy. that would be nice. Yeah, if Jeff Passon just I, I, I that he should just auction off his ballot. Yeah, 
That would be uh, that would be great. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Andrew Jones, uh, probably probably the one, you know, of the bubble cases we've done so far, the most confident uh, in. I'm the most confident in his Hall of Fame case out of everyone we've done so far, out of the four that we've done so far. Um, also, yeah, if you want to check out our our Bobby Abreu, Mark Burley, and uh, Todd Helton breakdowns, make sure to look at those podcasts. It's in the description where they yeah. are. Um, they're pretty much at the uh, in the final like 20 to 25 minutes of uh, each of our past few news episodes. But yeah. Um, I guess that leads to the conclusion of the, uh, of the episode here. Our first, our first, uh, podcast in about nine days. Uh, it's been a, it's, it's been, been a while. It's been a crazy week and a half. Yeah. Final week. Of course, you know, we don't want to bore with all the details, but yeah, it, uh, especially now it's, it's, it's super weird with school. Yeah. But yeah. We hope you enjoyed this, uh, news episode slash Hall of Fame case episode. Uh, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, want to watch us talk, go to our YouTube channel, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, it is called STB Now with Christiana and Daniel Curran. And actually, on the YouTube channel, I'm going to start putting down just our full Hall of Fame case breakdowns. You know, see if see if uh, you know they get maybe any traction. If you if you just type in you know if you type in those Who names, knows. maybe it'll come up. Yeah. But yeah, I. I do the Bobby Abreu one is up there, but I I forgot to uh, put the other two up. But yeah, um, if if you only yeah if you only want to hear the Hall of Fame cases, I think I'll just put those as singular little videos, uh, little podcast clips. But yeah, uh, go to the YouTube channel for all that. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on Twitter uh, and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran. And follow the show Instagram at SQNL Podcast, uh, where you'll get all the updates on when we're posting and a bunch of other and a bunch of other stuff. And we hope you enjoyed uh, this news episode. And we hope to see you tomorrow, where we are heading back to history, and we're talking about Lou Gehrig. And the day after that, we will be talking about the 2018 Milwaukee Bu- Bu- Milwaukee. <laughs> Milwaukee Brewers. See you then.